Hello. Welcome to Daniel Bayon's views of 83 weeks and counting. I was going to talk about Super Brawl 1997, but I got to talk first about. No. This is the episode for Super Brawl 97. Okay, I'll just look this up quick on Wikipedia, then I'll talk about it. Okay, here I go. Um, before I talk about that, I want to say how, <clears throat> how much fun this is to do, and Anchor.fm, thank you that this is free, because if it wasn't free, I probably wouldn't be able keep this up on your service right now because of unforeseen circumstances so I really want to say thank you because as you put in your website about why y'all's why y'all service is the best service to use because of how Hard it can be to come up with money all the time to pay other services. When it's free, it gives you more. It saves podcast hosts slash creators the time to think of what to talk about. It gives them all the time in the world to, to come up with the best content they can come up with. By the way, I will be ta doing a new MMA slash kickboxing podcast. I may even talk about boxing if I think about it. So when I when I find the right service for that, I'll let y'all know on Anchor. Here I go with Super Brawl 7. Super Brawl 7. <clears throat> After 6 lost the ladder match to win the U.S. Heavyweight title, he turned around and stole the Cruiserweight title from Dean Malenko. I guess because they were talking about the expression possession is nine-tenths of the law. I guess they took that to heart and that even though Dean Malenko was the official champion, 
taking the title just as soon made Six the champion. But in reality, I believe the purpose of this was to give the NWO a title and Six was going after the Cruiserweight title made more sense than going after the U.S. title because he was so small that he looked like he was perfect for the Cruiserweight title, whereas Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and even Kevin Sullivan looked like they were heavier than the Cruiserweights. So, that's why I think it was perfect for Six to go after the Cruiserweight title and that it fit him more because of his size. So, he, he, uh, D. Malenko, excuse me, <clears throat> took the belt and threw it in the ring just to show that, just to say, this is my title, you're going to have to beat me for it. The mistake he made was leaving the title in the ring because Six grabbed it to use as a weapon, and Eddie Guerrero ran down to pull it from him. The biggest mistake Ian Malenko made was letting go of Six's hair and asking Eddie, what are you doing? Then he got hit with the title, and the referee ran... I'm not sure who it is now. It doesn't really matter. When the referee was telling Eddie to get away, Dean gets hit with the title, and he loses the Cruiserweight title. I'm sorry when I said earlier that the idea was to give NWO a title. Let me restate that. It was to give them an official mid-card title. They already had the heavyweight and the tag team titles. But with Hollywood Hogan and the Outsiders Hall and Nash. Who, who were defending the titles against the giant in a handicap match, by the way, in this pay-per-view. <clears throat> Next, in a six-man tag team match to showcase the Mexican stars, the team of Conan, La Parca, and Villano Four defeated Juventud Guerrero, Super Calo, and Ciclope. It lasted for 9 minutes and 51 seconds. So, this is what, this is an example of what Chris Jericho said on his story when it said that even though the NWO was a tremendous angle, what really made WCW popular in the Nitro versus Raw ratings war was the use of the Cruiserweights. Because no matter how long the matches went, they were so exciting. But the high flying and the 
and uh, combined with the Mad Bay offense, that you didn't even stop to think how long the matches took. That is how great the Cruiserweights were. Because they used a lot of, I believe it called Lucha Libre stars from Mexico. The best mat-based wrestler who was Lucha Libre for the Cruiserweights was Rey Mysterio Jr. You also had the guards, the you also had Hector Garza, but Rey Mysterio Jr. got more, had more time with the title. As a matter of fact, I believe in one year he won the title twice, and I believe in his tenure in WCW. He probably was a four-time Cruiserweight Champion, if not six. If not a six-time Cruiserweight Champion. So, as far as pure old-school wrestling goes, he was the greatest Cruiserweighter. One of the greatest. Because you also have his good friend, Billy Kidman. And I know I'm digressing, but it just that just... May, this makes me think about how important talking about Monday Nitro is. And I'm sorry I didn't talk about that, but I usually save that for the ratings. So, after talking about this, I'll start talking about Nitro leading into Uncensored. Okay, so... Next match for the World TV Championship, the newly crowned TV champion, Prince Iakea, at 8 minutes and 56 seconds, defeated Rey Mysterio Jr. after Lord Steven Regal, the former champion, pulled Rey Jr. off the apron. When he pulled him off, Rey Mysterio hit his face. So he threw him in the ring, and all Prince I.K. could do was pin him. So that's how the match ended. Interesting segment after the match. He handed the title to Ray, saying, saying, I know I won the match, but I don't want to keep it this way. So you could see it wasn't over yet between himself and Lord Steven Regal. <clears throat> which was even more important when you stop and think about how things are done today. Next. Next. Um, af by the way, after Six defeated Dean Malenko, they brought in Diamond Dallas Page and they asked him, who do you think will be your opponent? So, and they mentioned Buff the Stuff Bagwell. That they told Mean Gene in his earpiece that that's exactly who Diamond Alice Page's opponent was. <clears throat> so that was the next match, and after he hit the Diamond Cutter on Buff, you could see the rest of the NWO members running down to ringside. 
So he escaped the ring, and that meant that he won the match by disqualification. Next, for the U.S. heavyweight title, Eddie Guerrero defeated Chris Jericho to keep the title. I remember watching this and thinking, but when I watched this as a teenager, I remember thinking to myself, boy, isn't it a shame you never won that U.S. title, Chris Jericho? And I'm sorry to people out there that may not have watched WCW that like to hear my podcast on Anchor. I'm sorry for ruining future episodes, but <clears throat> I, th- I just thought I'd mention that because I know that most fans who watched watch Chris Jericho heard that he never won the U.S. title, so that's why I said that. But what was interesting was he wrestled Eddie Guerrero so well. By the way, this was when Chris Jericho was brand new and he was a babyface. So it meant even more that he wrestled well because he didn't break any rules. That it made you, you, we knew then that he could be a main eventer in the future. We just didn't know how long it would take. In a three-way dance tag team match, which, even though it wasn't to crown number number one contenders, this could still help, this could still get put them in line for a tag team title shot because of the win and against who the tag teams were. Public Enemy defeated Harlem Heat and the Faces of Fear members, Ming and the Barbarian. When one half of Public Enemy went for, I think went for a somersault on Barbarian, and got caught, and I think that was Rocco Rock, then Johnny Grunge hit a crossbody to, uh, to block a um, a pile drive attempt, pile driver attempt by the barbarian, and that's how they won the match. Interesting finish when you think about it. Very seldom do you see somebody go for a somersault when their opponent is standing up. Very seldom. Well, you see their, their tag team partner jump off the top rope to, to keep them from getting hit with a maneuver. So this was a great match all in all. In the next match, Jeff Jarrett defeated Steve McMichael. And he had already beaten Chris Benoit. So, when he beat Stephen Michael right here, became an official member 
the four horsemen. He had actually when he was earlier, about two minutes before the finish of the match, Steve McMichael had kicked out of the move of the pen attempt by Jeff, and Jeff accidentally hit referee in the eyes with his hands, so the referee couldn't see anything. So when Deborah decided to let go of the briefcase and throw it in midair, Double J, Jeff Jarrett, hit, caught it, hit Stephen Michael with it, and got the victory. <clears throat> right from the beginning, by, by virtue of this, of the way this match ended, you knew there was going to be tr trouble with the horsemen. So, as I start talking more about these um, storylines, we're going to see what happens. Next, in a San Francisco death match, Chris Benoit hit, first of all, he had put Kevin Sullivan on a table, and... Jacqueline got on the table to try to either move Jimmy Hart off of the table or, no, move Kevin Sullivan off the table or try to shield him. Well, that didn't stop Chris Benoit, so he went for a diving headbutt and somehow he stayed, somehow, I think he started, I think he fell off of them like a lawn dart, and somehow he still made the pinfall, and he won the match, he and woman. This was the most real thing I've ever seen up to that point in the business. It was so serious that Paul Orndorff came down to the ring, Lee Marshall came down to the ring, was one of the commentators, and he would do a lot of reports on the road for the WCW house shows. There was one person I don't didn't really recognize. He started freaking out, and he was asking the referee for just standing there instead of getting help from the back. And it was so serious that Jimmy Horton was supposed to be quote, enemy of Nance, of woman, and Chris Benoit, he was showing, you're showing her, showing concern for Chris with Nancy, and that's how he knew it was serious, because they were supposed to not like each other, so well, they got them both in the ambulance, and as um, scary as that was, for people who may have thought it was real because of the re because of how believable it was, that made makes you feel better knowing that they actually care about each other. So even though it shows that it's a show, it makes it better that it is a show. Because <clears throat> there's too much hate out there, too much. Um, Legitimate hate, not not politically correct hate, like people like to spew out there. There is so much 
hatred out there where people want to kill somebody. So to show this, so for this to happen, even though it was scary, it was good to see that, that they cared about each other because we don't need real hatred. Especially in a business where it's always about fighting. Next, at the, in the, about two minutes before the end of the acting title match, Lex Luger came out, and the problem with Lex Luger coming out was Eric Bischoff, the vice president of the company, said he would not sanction Luger as wrestler. So, even, so, when he came out, we were like, yeah, it's good that he can help the Giant win the titles, but if he gets, if he, if his submission hold wins the victory, wins the match, they can't keep the titles. So, he got, he put... I think he put Nash in the torture rack after getting tagged in, and they won the titles. The Giant did the smart thing, and he chokeslammed Scott Hall to win the titles. Next night on Nitro, at the end, when there was supposed to be a title match, Eric Bischoff tried to take the title away from them again. Even though the Giant got the three count on Scott Hall. So, I think, so that part, what was smart about that scene was Lex Luger negotiated with him that in order to stop the charade of all the, of winning the titles back and forth, then, um, winning the titles and him taking the titles off of them, somehow, to stop that charade, Lex Luger challenged him to a match where every, where they'll, they'll put all the WCW titles on the line, and if NWO, it eventually became that if the NWO lost the loss, they would be banned from WCW for three years. And um, if NWO won, they would be able to wrestle as regular regular wrestlers any time, any place throughout the year for the rest of their existence in the company. So that's why I said it eventually, the reason I said it eventually became that way is because I know that for the next two or three Nitro episodes after that, they eventually came up with this, with a full, um storyline 
a full storyline um, stipulations for the match. I'm not gonna say anything else because that would that would be revealing too much too soon. In the main event, where Rowdy Roddy Piper went against Hollywood Hogan for the heavyweight title. After he officially beat Hogan to win the title, after all those years of being an, a, quote, rival of Hogan's in the WWF, years before he was in WCW, the Macho Man Randy Savage was out there, and he pulled... Hogan to the ropes so that they would have to restart the match and he put something in Hogan's weightlifting belt or pocket by brass knuckles so that he could beat Rowdy Roddy Piper and that's how he became a member of the NWO black and white In real life, even though they were friends, Hogan and Savage, they had problems ever since um, Hogan left WWF back in 1993, I believe. I believe... When he left WWF, it was around the time that Randy Savage and his wife, Miss Elizabeth, were having problems. <clears throat> so that's how all the problems started, because I think Hogan, instead of staying out of it, he got involved and he let Miss Elizabeth stay with him and his family. I think that's how that all started. So, eventually, as we all know, who who kept up with WCW in those days, we know that this didn't last long, but as I talk about it, and as the storyline continues to unfold, I'll share, I'll share what happened to those who may not know what happened. I, th- I believe they had an aftermath on Nitro, but they didn't specify what happened besides Eric Bischoff stripping them of the titles. So, I'm glad I did mention what happened at the end of Nitro the next night. I'll just look up the results of Nitro from the next night.
as I'm waiting for it to fully load, I thought I would share this. This is so much fun that I'm going to continue to do this. And I'm going to try to do this and do my Launchpad podcast also. Because both of them are very fun to do. Here I go looking for rock. For nitro, excuse me. This is the full Money Nitro results. Public Enemy defeated Jeff Jarrett and Steven Michael. Jim Duggan defeated Galaxy. Hugh Morris defeated Joe Gomez. Ice Train defeated La Parca. Faces of Fear, the Barbarian and Me defeated Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho. Rey Mysterio Jr. defeated Juventud Guerrero. Prince Ayakea, who was the TV, still the TV champion, defeated Pat Tanaka to keep the TV title. The Ultimo Dragon defeated Dean Malenko by DQ. DDP defeated, or DDP and Dave Taylor's match ended in a no contest. And because of Harlan, because of Luger and the Giant being stripped of the tag team titles, the match against Harlem Heat ended in a no contest. Next week, Conan and Hugh Morris Defeated Jeff Jarrett and Stephen Michael. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Rick Fuller. Juventud Guerrero defeated Ray Mendoza Jr. Dean Malenko defeated Mike Enos. Eddie Guerrero defeated the Ultimo Dragon. Scotty Riggs defeated Michael Wall Street via disqualification. Rey Mysterio Jr. defeated Mr. J.L. And Lex Luger and the Giant fought the Steiner Brothers to a no contest. In this episode, when Eric Bischoff was claiming that <clears throat> there was no way that Lex Luger's challenge could be officially issued because he doesn't have any power 
or authority. After he said that, behind him came Harvey Schiller to tell him that, to ask him about his actions, if he thinks, if he thinks he has the power to do that, or the right to do that, and Eric said, it's my understanding that I do, and Harvey that's when Harvey Schiller, who is one of the TBS people that probably, that Eric Bischoff probably had to answer to in real life, he told Eric that he was suspended. So that meant that Eric Bischoff, even though he claimed later on that there's no way you can suspend him, I think we, I think we at home knew that. How can he not suspend you, Ted Turner's owner of the company? But because there's so many big-time people taking part in meetings creative meetings along with you who's really the boss that's exactly what it was in those days in that company I'm surprised they didn't have any um, any results besides the besides the matches And the final paint and the final nitro before uncensored. Jeff Jarrett and Steve Mungo McMichael finally won a tag match by going against high voltage. Prince Ikea kept the TV title by beating David Taylor. Eddie Guerrero kept his US title by beating Jim Powers. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Sergeant Craig Pittman. Ray Mysterio Jr. defeated Galaxy. Lex Luger, the Giant, Ricks, and Scott Steiner, who were part of, who were one of the team members going against the NWO at Uncensored. They defeated Greg Valentine, Roadblock, Jacques Rougeau, and Pierre, the Amazing French Canadians, at in a tag team match. And then the Ultimo Dragon defeated Ventura Guerrera. Scotty Riggs defeated Chris Jericho via disqualification. And Kevin Sullivan and Hardbody Harrison got double both got counted out and that was the end of the show now let me see if they put any other information all right we know that one of these weeks 
We know that in one of these. I know that in one of these episodes, Roddy Piper decided to have three men, and one of them was John Tenta, be his teammates at Uncensored. But Arn Anderson and Ric Flair offered to have to have to be his partners at Uncensored. So. Both of them were injured. One was Ar Arn Anderson had a neck injury, and Ric Flair had was still not a hundred percent to go because he still had shoulder a shoulder problem, rotator cuff problem, I believe. So the actual members of Piper's team were Jeff Jarrett, Chris Benoit. And Steve Mongo McMichael. Um, so there you have it. That's the main event. They also had announced that Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko they started having problems because of Eddie's um because of what happened when Eddie came down to help Dean at Super Brawl, their problems led into them having a notice qualification match for the U.S. title announced for Uncensored. That match is part of the telecast. Also, you had a rematch for the TV title between Rey Mysterio Jr. and Prince Iakea. Public Enemy and Harlem Heat had it was announced that they were going to have an Anything Goes match and I forgot the, the exact name of the match but I believe it was a street fight like they had against like Booker T and Sting had against Road Warriors at Uncensored the year before, I believe. So, to make sure I got that right, let me look at the matches on um, Wikipedia. Ultimate Dragon went against Psychosis. Glacier went against Mortis with... James Vanderberg in his corner. I believe this was a, a martial arts match. In a strap match, Marcus Buff Bagwell and Scotty Riggs went against each other. Harlem Heat went against Public Enemy in a Texas Tornado match. Then the TV title match between Ikea and Mysterio happened. Then the triangle elimination match tag match happened this I definitely will be doing a play by play episode for
Okay. There you have it. Thank you and goodbye. Hello. This is Daniel Vaughn. I've been podcasting for almost two years, and I just about a month ago found out how to submit, um, uh, manually submit my feed to Apple Podcasts. Well, if anybody's getting into podcasting and wants Apple Podcasts, their show on Apple Podcasts, come here and use Anchor Podcasts. and counting, and welcome to this edition, no, no, welcome to this episode where I talk about NWO Sold Out. I remember watching a WCW produced video of the NWO called Back in Black, because I believe that we had gotten that and we had given it to my uncle and they had aired in that video that 
the time that Eric Bischoff, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and the rest of them cut a video promo about their own pay-per-view. And Scott Hall said, now you're really gonna get it. And that's what Kevin Nash said, we're gonna film our own pay-per-view. Like a big kid. <laughs> so it was hilarious to watch that. But Kevin Nash said himself that because in life mistakes are always bound to happen, this was the first mistake that Eric Bischoff made with the NWO because it made no sense to have only one referee and that referee pulling for them. Because if there's one thing fans can't stand, it's for a biased referee to be officiating any matches on the court, let alone every court, let alone every match, excuse me. So that's why Kevin Nash described this pay-per-view as the first blunder that Bischoff made with this group. The only match that was not disappointing, at least the post-pay-per-view part of it, was Marcus Buff Bagwell versus Scotty Riggs. Sorry, I was reading something on Yahoo, and I didn't want to read it out loud, so I just paused for a second. What was interesting about this pay-per-view was that the poster had the giant on it, on the standing on the side of Hall and Nash and possibly Hogan. Yeah. Hogan was in the center of the poster. Nash was behind Giant and Hall was on the right side of Nash. <clears throat> what was interesting about this is that by the time this pay-per-view happened, the Giant turned on them and went back to being a WCW wrestler. <clears throat> so, it's interesting because when this poster was taken, he was an official member of the New World Order. So obviously, they realized the, the need to have him turn and become a WCW member around this time. As a matter of fact, the big show who is the giant in WCW for people who may know who may not have watched wrestling in those days, <clears throat> the big show said that by having 
Hogan in his corner in real life. That's what that was the biggest and best thing that could happen for him. And this is one of those examples. Um <clears throat> I believe that Hogan uh, thought that by having Giant go back to the WCW roster that it would do better for him <clears throat> and that at that point in his career the Giant Paul White uh, grew enough as an individual being a member of the NWO that the fans would accept him as the giant more in that part of his character than before because before that he was he was just a cheesy member of the dungeon of doom so now that i got that out of the way let me go go into the matches <clears throat> Masahiro Chono, representing the NWO, defeated Chris Jericho. Big Bubba Rogers defeated Hugh Morris in a Mexican death match. Big Bubba Rogers, too, is representing the NWO. Jeff Jarrett defeated Mr. Wall Street. Buff Bagwell defeated Scotty Riggs by... Debuting the Buff Blockbuster. <clears throat> Scott Norton defeated DDP by Countout after DDP hit him with the Diamond Cutter and <clears throat> walked through the audience. The Steiner Brothers, this was the part. This was the match that, even though the outcome was was great, what they did in the beginning of Nitro was disappointing the next night. I think whenever Rick and Scott Steiner went for the Bulldog um, electric chair combination, I think they knocked Nick Patrick out of the ring, so Randy Anderson, a WCW referee, jumped over the guardrail into the ring to make the count, and that's how they won the tag team titles. Um, the next night on Nitro. Eric Bischoff decided to do two things. He fired referee Randy Anderson and he stripped the tagging titles from the Steiner brothers. And instead of putting it up in a tournament, they just handed them back to Hall and Nash. Which, in my mind, made even less sense than having 
that made less sense than them winning every single match on sold out. So I think that he dug a bigger hole by doing that than by putting them up in a tournament and making sure that they won the match at the end. Won the titles in the end, excuse me. But as a fan, it was, I loved the Outsiders. So I didn't mind that. But creatively speaking, it didn't really make sense. Even though Eric Bischoff was vice president of a company, and even though he was a part of the NWO, they had, but they normally used a commissioner. So for them to drop the commissioner role out of th all of a sudden, instead of having an explanation, really made it really made it even more confusing than before. So that's why I think this is the biggest um, disappointment to the fans. It was a bigger disappointment than not having, than not winning the titles. Because at least, because at least when you don't win the titles, you have an official decision. Next match, a U.S. heavyweight title ladder match between Eddie Guerrero and Six. Eddie Guerrero. <clears throat> it was perfect that it was a ladder match because unless the referee Nick Patrick decided to get physical, there was no way he could cheat for six. So this was a perfect match in this scenario. Eddie Guerrero got tired of six trying to take the title belt from him. So he hit six, hit the face with the title, and retrieved it to keep the U.S. heavyweight title belt. In, I believe, both the NWO story DVD and Blu-ray, when they aired this match, I believe that they had Scott, uh, Eric Bischoff say that they were going to create their own NWO U.S. Heavyweight title belt for six. Then he used that famous line, that famous saying, possession is nine-tenths of the law. <laughs> Which was like the second time he said that, so... It had become overkill by this time, but it was still funny to hear. Going back for a second about why it made no sense for him to strip the titles and give them back to the champions who lost them is because he had an entire 
board of directors to answer to. That's why, looking back at it, was even more confusing than before. In the main event, Hollywood Hulk Hogan and the Giant fought to a no contest. The Giant chokeslammed Hogan, the referee Nick Patrick, and every other member of the NWO. <clears throat> so, by virtue of that chokeslam, that's why there was a no contest. And, um... To be honest about it, it was actually, when I think about it, a better decision to have him hold on to the title. Because <clears throat> if they were going to have Hogan lose the title at any point, at any point of the, of the year, it should have been... Um, Starcade 96. So that's why I think this was a better decision looking back on it. Okay. I'll end it right here. And I always do a separate episode where I talk about pay-per-views and a in a play-by-play um, episodes. I'm going to stop right here and do a separate one or two separate ones for Uncensored. Thank you and goodbye. Hello. This is Daniel Vale with 83 Weeks and Counting. And please listen to my latest episode where I talk about the... The NWO sold out pay-per-view and I also do play-by-play episode where I talk about WCW Uncensored in 1997. Thank you and goodbye.